Tanner here. Just wanted to give a quick heads up. Um, during the course of this podcast recording, we used a slur to refer to the Roma people of Europe that were featured as characters in this movie. In this edited version, we have bleeped out those words, but we have left the conversations in because we still think that they held some valuable thoughts. For some people, including myself at the time of this recording, it wasn't a word that we commonly associated with being a slur, but we know better, and we hope that you stick with us as we try to uphold the RPG Academy to the highest standard possible when it comes to inclusive content. So we apologize that these words made it into the original recording to begin with, but we hope that you can listen to this edited version and enjoy it. Thank you. Class, please be quiet. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. Welcome to the RPG Academy Network presents Film Studies. Welcome, classroom, to our first episode of the RPG Academy Film Studies. I am Kalum and I will be your teacher of foreign cinema. Today I've got, I don't know if they're students or co-teachers. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Tanner from Shadow of the Cabal podcast. I'm the cool substitute teacher that has a ponytail. You're not the only person from the Shadow of the Cabal today with us. Hi, I'm Dakota. I'm also with Shadow of the Cabal. And we've got a very special guest. Yeah, hi, I'm Camille. I'm from uh, Demepia. Good times. <laughs> I'm not sure what kind of teacher I would be. <laughs> today for our first episode, we have watched a French movie from 2001 called Brotherhood of the Wolf, Le Pacte des Loups in its original title a movie directed by Christophe Gans. We have to give a few little warning. This movie contains some sexual violence, a bit of nudity, as well as some graphic physical violence and violence towards animals. I did not remember that properly when I picked it. <laughs> yeah, it definitely earns its R rating in yeah. pretty much every way. <laughs> we might also have some uh, explicit language in this podcast itself, so uh, sorry about that. Uh, you have been warned. So first, drawing inspiration from Shadows Over the Cinema, I will ask you to come up with a one-sentence review for this movie, starting with Camille. What's your one sentence? A cheesy, bodice-ripping comic drama, but nonetheless quite an enjoyable one, though far too long. <laughs> Dakota? Oh, uh, I would have to parrot some of that. It, it's a very long, very French film that <laughs> goes on a little too long, and it's um, it was something. I, I, I'm, not, I'm still not sure what I watched, but I, I watched something. And uh, Tanner? I think that it is a fun action movie about secret societies and a cool sort of period drama, but it is held back by some utterly tasteless decisions and being entirely an hour too long. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Good call. It's not exactly a review, but my own sentence will be homo homini lupus est, meaning man is a wolf to his fellow man. Ooh, you got, you got Latin Deep. in here. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to bring the level up in on this network. Oh, I'm <laughs> well, Brotherhood of the Wolf certainly brought it down a couple <laughs> matches. Ooh. So the concept of the show will be to each time review a movie and give it a, a treatment through the lens of tabletop RPG. Without further ado, I will give a, a not so little plot summary of what happened in this movie. So spoilers alert, if you want to watch this movie, better not listen to this episode yet. The film starts amid the French Revolution with an aging nobleman as our narrator. A mob is screaming for this narrator's head, but the guillotine will have to wait. The old noble has memoirs to finish writing and the story of the most secret conspiracy to tell us. Flashback to 1764, in some French rocky countryside where a peasant woman fails to flee from some unseen threat. 
a mysterious beast terrorizes the land of Gévaudan. Jump to another rocky corner of Gévaudan, where two cloaked horsemen are making slowly their way through heavy rain. The duo interrupt a bunch of men in ragged robes as they are mistreating an old man and his daughter. Things quickly escalate to a slow-mo fight scene. Our riders are introduced by the narrator, Manny the Iroquois, who should be the lead of this movie, but is instead the companion of the enlightened Grégoire de Fronsac, chevalier and official naturalist of Louis XV, King of France. Their mission? To put an end to the beast of Gévaudan. Arriving at Morangias, the local fancy castle, they are welcomed by Thomas. Oh look, it's the narrator when he was younger. As they warm by a fire, the chevalier explains that he doesn't believe the beast exists. The young Thomas expresses his enthusiasm about all things quotation mark enlightened in Paris, which includes free love and libertine practices. The chevalier is happy to indulge in the young man's curiosity and even lends him some libertarian pamphlets to read. Over a lavish banquet with all the local nobility, the chevalier is introduced to a plethora of characters. An army officer, currently failing to stop the beast. Sardis, the local clergyman, who doesn't seem too bad, but complains about the king not doing more to uphold Christian values. The lady of this castle, Morangias, who seems super religious herself. Her son, Jean-François, who lost an arm in Africa and has a super creepy je ne sais quoi. <laughs> Her daughter, Marianne, an innocent yet witty and flirtatious young lady. Her love is apparently pursued by everyone around here. And the chevalier apparently falls in love with her immediately. The party is the occasion for the chevalier to entertain his host with stories of his time across the ocean in Nouvelle France while softly challenging various racist views about many and Native Americans. All sorts of crazy rumors are exchanged. The beast would be a warning sent by God for the king to uphold Christian values. The Pope himself is rumored to have sent a super spy to sort this out. Time passes, hunts are organized, hundreds of regular wolves are killed. Manny is mad about it. <laughs> Manny kicks the ass of various no-gooders, heals people turned crazy by the events. Manny is called a witch, but the beast is still at large and killing. Meanwhile, the chevalier does science, draws portraits of everyone, and courts Marianne, who is a big tease. Oh, also, the chevalier, Thomas, and Manny regularly go to a crazy big and fancy brothel, with a small door but bigger in the inside like a erotic TARDIS. <laughs> there, the chevalier meets the mysterious Sylvia, uh. an Italian prostitute who uses tarot for divination and is super ominous all the time. She also asks the chevalier, Draw me like one of your French girls. <laughs> Finally, Manny and the Chevalier work out that the beast has man-made jaws made of metal. They found a metal fang on one of the victims. And that it is accompanied by a mysterious figure. The audience sees in a flashback that the handler has some creepy right arm with creepy fingernails. But everyone had enough of the Chevalier, and nobody wants to listen to him. The king is sending an NPC to replace him. Also, Marianne was sent the drawing the chevalier made of Sylvia naked, and she's super mad. <laughs> Her brother is super protective and creepy about it. The chevalier pushes the one-armed sword to the ground. Marianne jumps to the side of her brother and tells the chevalier not to come back. Side note, in the other version of the movie I saw, the chevalier also alters the corpse of a wolf to make it look like a big monster. That's under the order of the king, and he's super upset about that. Anyway, the Chevalier and Manny go away. Sylvia, wearing a fabulous outfit, meets Marianne at the church and tells her that despite all the sex, the Chevalier only ever loved Marianne. <laughs> the Chevalier and Manny are about to board the ship 
when Thomas brings them a letter from Marianne, asking the chevalier to come back. She wants to meet him in a farm and give herself to him. Also Thomas wants the three of them to have a last hunt, in a Iroquois fashion. But first, love is in the air. The chevalier meets Marianne at the farm for some sweet premarital love. Sadly, the farm is attacked by a big CGI creature. It's the beast of Gévaudan. The beast kills everyone at the farm, but stops after smelling Marianne. It seemed the creature liked the young lady's perfume and decided to turn away. Thomas, Manny and the chevalier go on their hunt. It seems promising at first, but the beast escapes their trap. Manny goes after it alone and finds its lair, where men are holding dogfights. Despite his slow-mo moves though, he gets caught, tortured and killed. The chevalier finds Manny's corpse in the forest and gets super mad. Using maps, he works out the location of the lair, but people are still not keen to listen to him. Taken by madness, the chevalier puts on war paint and goes to the location. There he finds the bunch of reference we saw several times. Kills everybody! He finds weird African paraphernalia, latent markings, creatures informal. Even the beast in a cage, an instrument used to torture his friend Manny. More men are coming and he flees the place. In the morning, the chevalier sets up a bonfire as a final rite for Manny. He is confronted by Sardis, the clergyman, who confesses being behind everything. <laughs> Nobody will believe the chevalier anyway. He is arrested for murder and heresy. In jail, the chevalier is visited by Sylvia, who explains she is the spy sent out by the Pope and offers more details about Sardis' conspiracy. He created the beast to pressure the king to uphold Christian values. Then Sylvia poisons the chevalier, who dies quickly. The chevalier is buried, and Marianne is very sad. But wait! Here's Sylvia and a bunch of dudes. As soon as everybody's gone, they dig out the chevalier. It turns out it was just a ploy to fake his death. Meanwhile, Jean-Francois, the creepy one-armed brother, surprises Marianne in her bedroom and confesses having incestuous feelings towards her. He also reveals the secret that he still has a right arm, but a weird-looking one with long, weird fingernails. Jean-Francois then proceeds to assaulting Marianne off-screen. We are now taken in the mists of some ruins, where a crowd of people wearing wolf masks are gathered. Turns out pretty much all the nobility of Gévaudan was involved. Sardis, the clergyman, starts a big speech about Christianity and having more beasts across France. But he is interrupted by the face-painted chevalier. The chevalier kills a bunch of minions. He even scalps one. Soldiers faithful to the king and led by Sylvia start shooting at the conspirators. The chevalier and Jean-Francois have a final duel inspired by Soul Calibur. The chevalier wins. <laughs> final goodbye kiss between the chevalier and Sylvia. Sardis, the mastermind, managed to flee but gets devoured by wolves in the forest. Marianne was sick, but the chevalier heals her using Manny's Native American medicine. Back to the French Revolution, where an aging Thomas finishes his narration, walking towards a guillotine. Final romantic images of the chevalier and Marianne sailing away in the sunset. <laughs> the end. Whew. Yep. Yeah. That was, um, if that felt like it was long, believe me, watching it, it felt longer. <laughs> yeah. It's an, an accurate description to the uh, length. Uh. What was your guys' runtime? Because mine was like two and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was like two hours and 20 me minutes too. or something. Yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure the one I saw in cinema was shorter, though. Maybe yeah. I was just. Yeah. Wondering. There's lots of different versions of it, it should be said. Um, some that add stuff, some that take stuff away. I watched a version that is apparently a Korean Blu ray copy of it. So I have no <laughs> idea which version I watched, but. Very niche. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So it sounds, man. sounds like the original French slash US theatrical cut was 143 minutes. Mm. Too long. Mm. Still pretty long. Still long, yeah. Hella long. It should have been. It could have done the same thing in ninety minutes, pretty effectively. I think. A hundred percent. I think that the <laughs> whole plot with Marianne and like his, his, the romance was just like 
Like, where did it, like, what was the point of it? It, it didn't really, I guess it moved it forward because you kind of figured out that she was connected to Jean-Francois and she was, she smelled like him to the wolf. And so she didn't, I, I like, it was a clue to get the Chevalier to understand that Jean-Francois was behind it. But like, I don't know. It was, it was a lot of. Not even because he says when he meets Jean-Francois, he confronts him at the end. He said, aha, I found your silver bullet, which I did not mention in the summary. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the smell doesn't play anything in, in the Chevalier and Jean-Francois. No, that, yeah. I think that's just a thing for the audience to figure out. Like, why is the beast stopping from ripping her asunder? Mm. Yeah. And like it, to be completely honest, it seems like the whole romance was set up to make Jean-Francois' inevitable incestuous sexual assault of her happen. Yeah, which is... And make it feel something. But it's like, like what a... Like I said, just what a tasteless scene. Like, it it just did not add anything except as like, yeah, the creepy one-armed dude is real creepy, huh? It's like... <laughs> proof! <laughs> proof, yeah. Like, you could literally cut that scene from the movie and n- nothing would change. And Wait, it's not like... Really- yeah. There's one scene we couldn't cut from this movie. Are you talking about the pumpkins? Yes. <laughs> okay, so there's <laughs> did you, so there's a part where um they're about to go um kick the brotherhood the of the beast. wolf's ass, yeah. And um they're training with all their sick weapons and flintlock pistols and they're shooting at pumpkins. And I'm convinced that Christoph Gans has no idea what a pumpkin is made of. <laughs> because when they shoot these pumpkins, just straight orange paint comes out of yeah. them. It's not like pumpkin guts it's not chunky it's just some like, of them explode though some of them explode but it's like orange juice it's like nickelodeon yeah. slime comes out of them it's so bad yeah, it was like hammer horror for pumpkins yeah it's really strange. <laughs> yeah i don't know if maybe they just got like a discount and they're just like guys we got to use these in the movie somewhere but it was it was a laugh out loud moment for me that's just like you guys really don't know what a pumpkin looks like, and you're showing them over <laughs> and over again. It was like several uh, minutes of this, too, right? It was like yeah. at least three to five minutes of them just shooting pumpkins. And like going back to the, <clears throat> I don't know if I missed something, but going back to the like the pointless clues as to figure out where what the conspiracy was about. Apparently, all he needed to do to figure out where they were was look at a map and draw some lines, and boom, there it was. I don't know if I missed something on how they explained how he sort of triangulated the position of their lair precisely, but it seemed like the core clue for that scene was look at a map and he figured it out. <laughs> it was like the very first thing you, you would expect someone doing when there's been attacked. You say, okay, where are they? And uh, yeah, I trust them. Is it a movie you would recommend to tabletop RPG fans? I think, I mean, I'm not sure if it was a movie I would recommend generally, just because like, I was kind of hoping halfway through, oh, maybe it'll be so bad that it's good. It's that kind of film, like quite cheesy. But I think because the plot was so loose and it was so lengthy, it just kind of unraveled. Like there were definitely some, some fun parts. And like, I, I really thought Manny would be a good character in like the first half an hour or so. I was really, I was thinking maybe this is the saving grace. He seems pretty cool, but then just devolved further and further into the, the kind of native Indian. American stereotypes and it's like oh and I think he only said five lines the, in the whole movie right yeah which sucked I think he could have done a lot more with that I think that's because they didn't want Mark DeCascos to speak more French <laughs> like I don't know if he can speak much French and I don't speak Maybe. French so I don't know if his French was good or if it sounded Cologne was everyone sounded really off and weird. The lines were so weird mm. in French. I don't know if it came across in English as a non-French speaker, but yeah, the the dialogues are so straight and dry. Very stilted. It, it was really weird to watch. Yeah, mm. I'll agree that I think. I mean, and uh, Kalum, you kind of hinted at it. I think Mani should have been the main character of this movie. It would have been so much more interesting. Agreed. It could have been like. They could have actually taken on the race issue much more because they kind of addressed it a little bit and then just went, lol, he's spiritually involved with wolves. Because <laughs> that's not right. a stereotype. <laughs> yeah. And like, what if, what if this movie ended with the Chevalier dying about two thirds of the way through and then Mani taken up and going on the war path? I think that would have been a better, a better, that would have been awesome. Yeah. But then they wouldn't have been able to pay off that. And I think he was also partly there for sex appeal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and hey, let me tell you, 
It works. <laughs> Mark DeCasco, circa 2001. He's got a good look about him. He does indeed. <laughs> then, then he went into the Kitchen Coliseum, and that's where most <laughs> Americans will recognize this. This is the nephew that uh, hosts the Iron Chef series, yeah. for those that don't know. He upgraded. So Dakota, is that a movie you would recommend to tabletop RPG fans? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I was sitting here and thinking for a moment how I would describe this movie. And I would say it's like Sleepy Hollow meets Hot Fuzz. <laughs> yeah, that is a good take. I totally agree. Yeah. But it's really bad, and you should just go watch Hot Fuzz, because Hot Fuzz does much of the same thing that this film kind of tries to do. And, and Sleepy Hollow does as well, but Sleepy Hollow makes the wise choice of being a black comedy at mm-hmm. at points. It's like Sleepy Hollow is like laugh-out-loud funny intentionally yeah. sometimes, and this movie is just like, oh, you're really trying to take this seriously. But as an RPG, this is... The pacing's all weird. It's not a good adventure. I think it could be a good, like, set piece for an adventure. Like, the the base concept of the game is interesting, or the base premise of this movie is an interesting concept for a game. You are a naturalist and his friends hunting after a wolf that is terrorizing a populace. Go and solve this. It, it's fairly archetypical, I would say, but... Uh, could I recommend this? No. I have a quick question, Kalam. As a lad who grew up in France, is the story of the Beast of Gévaudan like something that is that like a cultural thing? Because I, I would say that probably most people in America don't know the sort of tale of that. But is that something like, say, for example, like an American would learn about Paul Bunyan or Johnny Appleseed? Is that like a folk story that's pretty widespread in France? I don't know any of the two stories you mentioned, but it is, yes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> the, so. It's, it's, uh, I guess the, from my knowledge of, uh, American culture, I guess the closest thing would be sort of a medieval version of Bigfoot. Something. Mm, okay. Pe- people are not quite sure if it existed or not, what it was, uh, because I, I mean, it was, it was, it might have been. What, 15, was it a 17. lion though? No, I think. Yeah, well, I love the twist that it's actually a lion from Africa, and they actually set that up pretty well, I think. Mm. But I think the historical beast of Gévaudan is definitely, everyone agrees that it was just multiple wolves, and nobody knew how to, everyone just assumed it was one wolf killing everybody. I don't recall an agreement on that again. It's, uh, you know, it's like speaking about... uh different uh, conspiracies, not, not in the sense that uh, the traditional story of Gévaudan involves a conspiracy, but uh, in the sense that uh, there's so many theories. It's like, uh, you know, it's one of the things mm-hmm. which were very fashionable in the late 90s, uh, where there's been a fad uh, around X-Files and a lot of shows about different folk tales, mysteries from aliens to Brocelion Forest to Merlin and this sort of things, people were mm-hmm. very curious about that. And uh, I was definitely, as a teenager, uh, fascinated by uh, any kind of legend, which might have been true or not. Uh, and mm-hmm. Beast of Gévaudan is certainly one of the famous ones. Yeah, I think I would, rec- I would recommend this movie to a person specifically. If you are going to run a sort of quasi-historical X-Files set in the real history type game. So, like, if you're running maybe, like, a historical Call of Cthulhu game or something like that, like, I think I would recommend this movie. But to the average person, I would I would recommend it with some big asterisks on it. Because I think I'm the only one here who, like, liked large parts of this movie, maybe. I think it was overall pretty mediocre, leaning towards bad. But there are things I love about this movie. There are things I love too. I think uh, I would recommend it to, but I would recommend to chasing the shortest version possible. And I would be doing so trusting myself, my 21 years old self, because in my memory, the rhythm was much better than this. Uh, I remember it was not a perfect movie at all, but uh, yeah, for me, it was better. It was funny because... There was a lot of excitement around this movie at the time among uh, 20-somethings and teenagers. It was at the peak of everything Asian 
in France and Belgium. And uh, people were very excited about the idea of French directors having a go at doing things uh, Hong Kong style. And it's funny that you say it's a very French movie because it's not very French, actually. It's trying to use tropes from uh, American and uh, Hong Kong cinema. And it's kind of a way of what you would consider a traditional French movie. It's funny to say, but something like Amélie, for instance, is a very American movie. There were a bunch of directors like that who, who did movies and, and Christophe Gans, it was just after Crying Freeman, which was even more a Hong Kong movie than this one, which I look forward to review for mm. Shadows of Earth. <laughs> you know, I was surprised to find out that this is the same person that did the Silent Hill film. Oh, yeah, I forgot not, about that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> this feels like, uh, the guy, I don't know. I, I thought I picked up on that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. A sort of middling, mediocre horror movie. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I did not read it as a horror film at all until I looked back on the synopsis online. It was like, it's a horror film. I was like, what? <laughs> I guess you got some tropes in there, like the little girl having the like head up flashback mm. and things like that. But I think it was, it wasn't really committed to the horror element at all, I would say. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it's more action. I'll yeah. agree with that. I'll concede that. Mm. Yeah. It, it's horror in the same way that like Sleepy Hollow was where yeah. it's horror, but there's sword fights in it. So yeah. 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 This movie did pretty well for itself when it came out too right it was pretty successful mm. uh, critically and somehow critically and uh commercially i still think we didn't see the the best version of that movie it's a bit sad i was just thinking about um kind of in terms of tabletop setting earlier as you were sort of saying earlier i think that i almost think that someone could take that make it a tabletop setting and make it a lot better <laughs> almost oh, yeah, if you kind of wanted to take it on as a little sort of improvement project you could take some of these kind of concepts that maybe they didn't turn out so well in film and then kind of explore them through rpgs and i think that because you know you you play the characters to your own taste as well that could be quite fun i think kind of like a pulp story Mm. maybe yeah i can definitely see this as being more fun to like play than it would be to watch in a movie form Mm. let's segue directly in the with the question which rpg do you think would be great to adapt this movie into well, I'll just say before I give a real recommendation, um, I think the RPG Academy, they previewed, they did a show and tell about a Savage Worlds setting called Blackwood, I believe. And Blackwood, if I recall correctly, is directly inspired by this movie. I think they... Oh, really? Yeah, I think the, the way they sold it was like Brothers Grimm meets Brotherhood of the Wolf meets The Witcher. And like... <laughs> that 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 is a a golden triangle for me at least. So um, I think that there are people who are running with this type of theme and tone and setting. If I had to like set it in a or if I had to run this sort of as a tabletop RPG, I would probably use one of the many Call of Cthulhu systems. I think, and I would maybe put my own twist on it of being like, oh. There's this beast roaming around and everybody's blaming each other for it and it's the devil's work. And then I think the twist would be, of course, that it's some Lovecraftian horror that's manipulating people into actually murdering each other and everybody just thinks it's a werewolf or something. But I think sort of the investigative cryptid hunting that is the beast of Jevedon and that story. And then obviously like there's cults and stuff mixed in. It's like, it's pretty much ready to go. I feel like as a Call of Cthulhu was, adventure personally. Um, I was thinking, um, the Cthulhu would be such a fun system to do that with, especially as like, surprise, <laughs> it's the Cthulhu mythos. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And also, um, I was just thinking like while I was watching actually, um, I don't know if you guys have played the game werewolf before. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you wanted to, not exactly a uh, an RPG system per se, but I think if you wanted to take it more down the kind of comedy route, which I think you can with this this film because it does have quite kind of cheesy sort of bodice ripping drama elements to it. If you wanted to kind of, oh, you're talking you're talking about the the board slash card game werewolf, right? Like, yeah, the the, the game yeah, where like, yeah. some of the people in the group are the wolves, and you have to work out who it is. I I feel like oh, that could be okay. actually quite a fun way to do it. You'd be like, oh trying to work out who the wolf and the handler are or something, or, like, who the beast and the handler are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because my other answer was going to be Cthulhu. I was like, oh, I can't. I don't want to just repeat what you said. And that was the other (laughs) idea that I had. So I think that if you really wanted to take it down the comic route and just have fun with it, especially if you've watched a film, like, I was watching it with a couple of friends, and I think that also changed the view experience because you're kind of 
looking to kind of find the funny elements in it as well. So I was thinking mm-hmm. that would be quite fun actually to kind of use that as almost like a, a, a skin for the werewolf game, if that makes sense. But not exactly the most uh, I agree. serious recommendation. But yeah, also Cthulhu would be super fun. <laughs> <laughs> Dakota, are you looking forward to investigate that case of uh, where gigantic beast in the lens of the crane with your Kitsuki. Uh, yeah, I think we can all agree that Legend of the Five Rings is the best for this. Well, <laughs> well that would be kind of interesting to juxtapose a English-slash-French legend into a primarily Asian culture and see what happens like when those two mix. I think I would probably recommend something along the Call of Cthulhu lines, but to give a different recommendation than Tanner, I would say maybe Shadow of the Demon Lord. It's kind of uh, the same sort of vibe. It's very dark, horror-based, uh, D20 system. It's a rather interesting one. I, I think that could handle this pretty well. Because fundamentally, this movie is very adventurous. And I feel like, to Dakota's point, not a lot of D20 adventure role-playing games that are sort of based off the D&D lineage would make great move like i don't think many movies would translate to that system well i think this one would though because it's going out and hunting monsters and uh dealing with the the twists that involve in that and i think that shadow the demon lord would be a, a pretty good pick as well as you say it's marketed a bit as a horror movie but it's not so much it's it's too slow spaced to be a slasher which i guess it's the closest thing it could be to a horror movie the intrigue's kinds of dragging the thing uh, along the way. I think what I would consider, it's not a system I'm used to, that's something I want to try, but I, I would consider going in this other direction almost and saying, okay, what I find fun in this movie is the sort of uh, weird horror historic setting, but with uh, kung fu styles fighting with bokens and this sort of things. And I was wondering... Could you do a Call of Cthulhu-like story, but even go further, yeah. go and take Feng Shui, for instance, and do something very Call of Cthulhu, but with Kung Fu? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm into that, too. Um, Call of Kung Fu. Yeah, I think that <laughs> Kung Fu. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you're you're awake. <laughs> can we name this episode Call of Kung Fu, please? I mean, definitely use it. Like. <laughs> Trademark that quickly. Yeah, no, no copyright on it. You can use it for the episode. <laughs> Yeah, I think we should trade market because yeah, it's going to be there on true. the market. I'm sure the idea is not there. Yeah, we have to develop this system. <laughs> <laughs> this movie also gave me major vibes of Assassin's Creed, if you guys are familiar with any of those games. Just the fact of like I see what historical set. Yeah. yeah, like historical setting that it's mostly faithful to, or at least does a good job of paying lip service to. It, it creates a historical playground and then it plays in it with cults and secret societies and high-flying action and big stupid fight scenes and i think that that's something like the assassin's creed games do really well like i fully expect if well they i guess they did set an assassin's creed game in like 1700s france but france yeah but like i could totally see this being like a side quest in an assassin's creed (laughs) game of like go to jevedon and figure out what the beast is and of course (laughs) the twist would be oh it's a templar conspiracy but instead of oh it's a brotherhood of the wolf conspiracy here but like i love that about this movie i love i'm like such a sucker for weird historical secret societies and stuff and um i love that about this movie and i think that any system that you can think that you can port that into, I think you could definitely port Brotherhood of the Wolf into. Well, Assassin's Creed is uh, developed by Ubisoft, which mm-hmm. is a well, a French video game company. You know, in in terms of uh, you know cultures, I guys, what people, what geeks look at, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the the people behind Assassin's Creed were big fans mm-hmm. of uh, of this movie. Totally. Well, we already touched on that a bit, but. Uh, what themes and ideas from this movie would you apply to tabletop RPG? For instance, I find the the one which is a bit interesting is, yeah, pulling from eras which we you have not explored that much. I'm thinking of um, in Table Titans, they're playing D and D in the webcomic, but it seemed to be slightly set in a world which is kind of 15th, 16th century with uh, because they, they got muskets and, uh, and stuff like that. And uh, you call that in English, the, the tricorn hat. The tricorn hat, yeah. Yeah, do you do you have experience with that? Uh? 
I, I haven't played in any, I think, that I can think of, but um, there's a really not-so-great H.P. Lovecraft story, speaking of Cthulhu Mythos, called The Horror in the Hills. And I believe, I mean, it's like a mythos story, Weird Gods, but it takes place in the Roman Empire. And it's all about the Romans, and of course, I mean, H.P. Lovecraft puts his own racist spin on everything, of course. But he, you know, it's the idea that, oh, the barbarians in the hills are drumming at night and they're summoning something. And I love the sort of just taking genres, like you said, and dropping them into time periods that you don't normally associate with those genres. Like gunpowder fantasy, for example, which this movie is almost a gunpowder fantasy, but or, you know, you can take a Call of Cthulhu investigative mystery adventure and, you know, drop it pretty much anywhere in history and it'll probably work. That would actually be super cool. I don't know why. I'm always surprised these sort of things don't happen more. I guess because you, a lot of the um, sort of the history buffs and history fans might be more into like the wargaming side of things, possibly. So maybe that's why there's not been as much of a kind of delve into like historical settings but i think that's something i'd be really interested in doing um but i personally have only really played in either modern settings or in sort of like proto medieval D &D (laughs) star settings so Mm -hmm. i think um yeah having paying attention to kind of the the historical nuances could be quite tough but also really immersive i would think um yeah could be quite an interesting way to go where would you guys go if you could pick a time to go explore (laughs) Oh, I would do like Old Testament Middle East, like Bronze Age Middle East, like in the, in the time of the Canaanites and stuff, like sort of pseudo history, pseudo like sort of biblical time, I think would be a really interesting Mm. setting to set adventures because we know just enough about that time period historically to hit the ground running, but there's still so many blank spaces and mysteries and references to weird, Mm. weird stuff. Like imagine if this movie took place in the kingdom of Israel and King Solomon told you, Hey, there's a beast marauding around, go take care of it. And that could, you (laughs) know, and like you, you could totally twist that into a call of Cthulhu type weird history game. I mean, I'm not trying to like put a Christian spin on it at all, but just that time period and that setting, I think is just, fascinating and really undertapped in a lot of um in a lot of media obviously probably for sensitivity issues maybe as to religion and stuff like that but i think (laughs) that it's a super interesting time period i would like to do a shout out to a writer of delta green adam scott glancy he is a guy that i've heard a few podcasts where he's taken a lot of like historical periods like um World War One to different eras, and he, he's done some really interesting Call of Cthulhu scenarios around those sort of setting pieces that you might not have expected. Um, very knowledgeable guy from everything I've heard. Highly recommend looking into his stuff if you have some interest. I would recommend for inspiration uh, to pick an era. I made this recommendation many times already to check the show by Dan Carlin called Mm. Hardcore History. Mm. It's a podcast. Not all the episodes are available for free, but they're they're really worth price. And he he covers so many different eras and go very deep in those eras. And even just so many stuff in there where you're like, wow, why, why isn't there a game just about this? He's got a series about the King of Kings, which covers all the Persian, the Assyrians, and their contacts with the Greeks, the Spartan, you know, 300, this sort of things. Got a series about the fall of the Roman Republic. Recently made an episode about the Celts and how they interacted with the Romans and shaped Christianity also. And yeah, you're right. The biblical times, ancient times, Greek times, uh, antiquity, 14th, 15th century. There's an episode which is one of my favorite about the siege of Munster which is this crazy, crazy thing in the, the 15th century with, yeah, sort of a kind of a Charles Manson situation <laughs> but at the scale of Ooh. a complete city <laughs> in West Germany, near, at the center of Europe, and at the same time, at an age where printing, writing was pretty much like the internet today. It was something new, people, something people were not used to, 
which brought a lot of so-called or rightfully called fake news <laughs> and suddenly the information travels much, much, much faster than what people are used to. And someone sends a message saying, hey, there's free food over there. And you got thousands of people showing up in a city suddenly and, and uh, then, then turning it upside down. So yeah, hardcore history, I cannot recommend it uh, enough. Colum, I just have to... I have to make sure, uh, be careful when you post something on Twitter of, oh, why doesn't a game exist for this? Because 28 people will come out of the woodwork and tell you that GURPS is the answer to everything. <laughs> and you should just be playing GURPS. And there's a GURPS source book for ancient Assyria. Yep. Don't you already own it? It's the perfect game already. Tanner's been burned. Sorry, that's my rant. <laughs> we have to do that nowadays. You, you have uh, something like... Uh, Ancient world, or you know, <laughs> powered by the apocalypse. Right, like just a role-playing game about, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, po- yeah, PBTA game about um, hunting werewolves in France. That's that's what I want. Dakota, I have a question for you. Um, so Dakota is thinking about running his own L5R game for a podcast. What is L5R, Tanner? L5R is Legend of the Five Rings. It's a role-playing game. Inspired by a white boy's dreams about samurai. That's the best way to <laughs> describe it. It's like a cartoonish version of, um, samurai and Asia and Japanese themes, but there is an office in Rokugan known as the Jade Magistrates, and they are people who go around and solve X-Files mysteries, basically involving tainted creatures, oni, blood magic, basically crimes against the spirit world and magic. So. Dakota is thinking about sort of running a game with this premise that everybody is a jade magistrate or an assistant of one. Dakota, do you think you could port Brotherhood of the Wolf into Rokugan and make it a jade magistrate's adventure? And how would you do that? Uh, how would- yes, I, I think I could. I would cut a lot from it. So there's sure, a lot sure. in it that I don't think is relevant to an adventure, but you could definitely have a monster that is at the whim of someone controlling it and terrorizing you know local populace for any number of reasons or any political gain thereof there's any number of ways you could take this sort of beast and its master and use it for an adventure i think i don't even think it's strictly l5r uh, yeah you do it in many different games yeah also um i'm not I wondered if you mentioned earlier that uh, it's crimes against the spirit world. So kind of, yeah, that could be quite interesting in terms of how um, in the actual film, I felt pretty sorry for the lion that was being used as the kind of beast and controlled. And maybe you could even look into how it was at one point, a peaceful spirit or didn't oh, yeah. really meddle. And then Very kind of gets tied okay. Yeah, corruption definitely. of the elements. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I, I could think, definitely see that. I think mm-hmm. in legend of the five rings, the, so this this movie attempted to have some very interesting intrigue that I think we can all agree kind of fell flat mostly. Because hey, Plum, I think this game tried to have its cake and eat it too. Because <laughs> of the French Revolution. No, that's not the meat cake. You missed you. Uh... Yeah, I tried. <laughs> you definitely tried. The reference was there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the this movie's intrigue kind of fell flat because the it, the twist was everybody's involved in it, which is the most boring twist, I think, right? Um, <laughs> the hot fuzz twist. It was all a dream. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that the intrigue would actually kind of fly better in L5R where, like, so this movie doesn't really give you the context of why the beast is being controlled besides to make the king fear God or whatever, but, like, if you set this in Legend of the Five Rings and it's because the Phoenix clan have a border dispute with the Dragon clan and they're using this beast as sort of a a piece of ammunition to fire against them. Like, I think in a tabletop RPG setting where there's more context to the intrigue as opposed to a movie where it explains why the intrigue matters in literally a couple of sentences, I think would work a lot better. And it, obviously you'd have the higher investment of actually having played in it, you know? Actually, Legend of the Five Ring is quite appropriate to this intrigue because you got the mix of the, the mm-hmm. monster, the conspiracy, and the political. I think part of the problem with the movie also, it's not only the intrigue, is that it's sort of trying to do three things at once. It's, it's doing the action, oh, yeah. it's doing the intrigue, yeah. but it's also trying to do some kind of love story. So I think it could do two of those and it would be interesting, but doing the three is certainly not working. And uh, and uh, coming back on the movie, uh, the, the character of Marian is uh, 
is bringing tears to my eyes because she's there and she's doing nothing. She's just, she, she's worse than the Green Lantern's girlfriend in the fridge. She, she's a victim all along. And it, it's so weird that she, she doesn't achieve anything. And then Sylvia, the, the Italian prostitute, it's a funny character. It's like someone showed up and created this character, you know, as a, as a role player in an RPG. And I've got this cool character. She's a spy for, it's like the, the game masters. PC. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think she, I think her setup is an awesome setup for an NPC in like a historical game of here is the mm-hmm. prostitute who is secretly working for the Vatican as a spy and assassin. That's dope. I thumbs up to that. But like, right. I, I agree with, with what you're saying that every female character in this movie, all two of them, I should say, is either, oh no, there's three. There's that gets killed. Marianne, who is... There's the woman with the lamb. Well, the woman with the, the lamb the is lamb. very important <laughs> yeah, There's the evil <laughs> woman part of the, uh, the Brotherhood of the Wolf, the mother. Is there, any, is there any woman in this movie that isn't sexualized, serves to be a pawn for a male character to do something, or a terrible stereotype? Roma stereotype? I doubt it passes the uh, Bechtel test. Either. No. Of like two women no. having a conversation, not about a man. I don't think, I don't <laughs> think, I think two women, w- women having a conversation. Yeah, I was going to say. And you could, if you're a shitlord, you could say, <laughs> that's historically accurate. And I would tell you to go fuck yourself because guess what? <laughs> women have been in history, dude. So, uh, it's crazy. Yeah, huh? <laughs> there's just no excuse for it. I think it's a, pro- I mean, I guess you could say it's a product of its time, but I would like to think that in 2001, maybe we knew better, but I don't know. Uh, oh, it's 2017, and that's true. Still not not doing so great. <laughs> Getting better. Well, but um, anyone has uh, any uh, teams and ideas for tabletop RPG to take out of that movie? I definitely like the mystery elements. I know that they're a little ham-fisted in the film, but I think that if you strip it back to its concepts and its basic plot, I think that in a tabletop game, the kind of the mystery elements and having to go out and hunt and sort of questioning the rich folk as well. I think that could be a lot of fun. I think it would be really fun to just run as a campaign in itself or just kind of take the idea of like the beast, which I think was probably the most appealing element sort of tabletop RPG wise, I would say. <laughs> Tanner, you, you master Shadow of the Cabal, a Legend of the Five Ring podcast, plug, uh, <laughs> which relies quite a bit on conspiracies to some extent. I was wondering, uh, are there do's and don'ts from the movie which you you would take about game mastering conspiracies? Yeah, I think that if you look at Brotherhood of the Wolf, he's very passively investigating a mystery. He's waiting for attacks to happen and then noticing, oh, look, it has a metal tooth. Or he's waiting and an NPC says to him, oh, I use silver bullets. Like, those clue he's not actively getting any of those clues um i think a lot of gms might look at this movie as a way maybe to run a mystery and i think that that would give them only frustration because this movie is entirely dependent on the quote unquote the game master of the movie just handing the clues to them there's no real way for they don't go hmm this is over here. Maybe now we should investigate this person because it's connected. None of that happens in this movie. The, it's a classic sort of not great writing trope of the characters don't do things. The things just happen. And I think if you're going to run a mystery, you have to have pieces that the players can play with. You have to say, say, for example, this crusader, this old Templar stronghold is clearly related to the wolf somehow. Go investigate it. Now, what clues are you going to There seems to be a lot of activity in this one spot for being such a far-off place. You know, here's something to look into, right? Sure. Uh, Yeah, and then when you look into it, there are solid, concrete things that connect it to other things of saying, oh, this old Crusader stronghold, for example, used to be in the ownership of the Lady of the Castle. How is that connected? Now you go back to the castle, and you talk to the Marquise and... uh, you know, get involved with that. There's, you have to have a thread to follow. And this was the director or the writer or the game master, however you want to throw it, say it, just throwing things at the player characters and the player characters going, Oh, okay. I guess that's the clue, which is not an engaging way to run mysteries. I think 
Maybe the script is based on an actual play of a game and the game master was giving clues <laughs> to the players, but the players were, ah, uh, I'm gonna go seduce the, the daughter of the marquee. And the game <laughs> no, master that actually was sounds like, way ah, more you, you find a silver bullet, okay? <laughs> you find a silver bullet. It's like, for God's Ooh. sake, someone throws a silver bullet at your head. <laughs> it's a clue. <laughs> yeah. I can say that the the main character in this this movie is a very passive investigator. He never goes out. He never really investigates anything. He, like you said, passively does this, and I don't think that makes for a great game because if you're just waiting for the GM to hand you the next set piece, you're not really investigating a mystery. You are just going along on the rails, more or less. If I was a player in this game, like you said, it, but I also subscribe to your same sort of mystery construction fundamentally. So we agree on that on some points. Yeah, you have to have these threads that you can pluck and follow. And uh, that's the core of a mystery is, you know, what path do you go down to find the clue? Yeah, it's the, um, what is it, the three clue rule? Yeah, three clue rule is a good one. Um, if you ever, if you guys aren't familiar with that. Just Google three clue rule. I think it's on a website called the Alexandrian and it is a eye opening piece on how to run mysteries in tabletop games. Yeah. Mm. Highly recommend it. Interesting. As a player who kind of encounters a lot of mysteries in, um, cause Max, our, our DM, like it's cause it's like a mystery horror D&D campaign. There's a lot of that goes on. I'm terrible at investigating. <laughs> it's like my worst skill <laughs> in RPGs. <laughs> Give me some like role playing with some NPCs. I'll be fine. But I don't know what to get out of them, where to go. Uh, there was actually an investigative role playing seminar at Dragon Meet that I didn't attend in the end because I was busy and I was like, damn it, I really needed that seminar. Because <laughs> I'm just like, what do we do next? Like, I'm, yeah, that's something I need to work on. So I'm, de- I'm definitely just gonna check that out because that sounds really useful i need to figure out what max is scheming basically (laughs) yeah and like to your defense i think that say you were playing this game and you were playing the role of the chevalier Mm. and the gm says there's a mystery go like what do you do like what do you pick up on they there's no (laughs) threads at the start of the of the movie he's in he's entire like dakota said it's entirely reactive waiting for the dm to throw stuff at you so i just yeah, don't run a mystery like this in a tabletop game. It only kind of works in a movie, barely, and it definitely Canada. doesn't work at a table. <laughs> if we were to sit down and rework this movie into being a proper mystery, how would you start the film off as far as like a lead goes? Like, how what is the initial clue that you would give the players so that they could go out and start pulling at these threads? Oh, that's a good question. I would probably, and it takes a little bit for this to happen in the movie, but I would probably start the session of, here you are, you're at the crime scene, you know? Mm-hmm. It eventually starts when they find the young woman filled with poison, but like I would sort of just start the action there, and then clearly connect it to a location, like the old Templar stronghold that they find in the woods, and, you know, connect that to, say, the Romani who are here, and then connect that to the Marquis, and, you know, and be able to, you know, you have to start the funnel somewhere. Mm -hmm. Ideally, your mystery, I'm gesturing for these guys, but no one on the podcast can hear this, but your mystery should start at one point, and then fan out into a bunch of different clues and scenes. (laughs) A conspiramid, if you would. (laughs) A conspiramid, if you would, yeah. And uh, head out and fan out, and then it should all kind of come together. It should almost be diamond-shaped if you're looking from top to bottom. Um, and this movie is definitely just a straight line. <laughs> Obviously, it's a movie. There's not a ton to... But there's no, like, interesting choice he had to make, even, in, like, a mystery. And if there's no choice in your tabletop games, you're not playing a tabletop game. What did you think of the, the number of characters? Would that be too many NPCs for, for a game? Because when I was writing the, the summary, I was like, who are all these people, and why do they matter? I mean, uh, I did not even detail the woman it was her father who turned out to be the guy taking care of the bees there's the marquise there's a daughter there's the priest there's the hunter the soldier they're they're all kind of set piece npcs i don't think there are too many because there are never you know four of them in a scene except for maybe the one or two party scenes that are that go on in this film otherwise it's it's just a cast of npcs that the players can go and interact with uh, it's just that the investigators in this case really didn't go out and 
talk to too many of them, really. Um, Let, let's go to the brothel instead. <laughs> and then the game master is like, the prostitutes gives you a clue. Oh, don't yeah, worry. Yeah. I'm, yeah, this is... I'm here to relax. <laughs> Yeah, the more the more you say that, Colum, I think that that is actually what this movie is. It's a it's a group of people trying to solve a mystery and a GM trying to railroad them and failing miserably. It's funny you see that because I, I find it's the opposite. It's the players doing nothing. I see the game master giving them stuff, introducing them to all the characters, like, and the player is like, "Yeah, cool. Uh, I'm gonna try to seduce the lady, and then I'm gonna go to the brothel." And I spoke. Uh, I, I, I thought this was a dating simulator. <laughs> <laughs> Mysteries and dating simulators are not mutually exclusive, yeah. in my experience. Yeah. No, it, I don't know, but I kind of want to make one now. <laughs> it's like even the character of Manny, the, yeah, it felt like a, this weird scenario of role-playing game. I find Manny's like, I did my character is super cool. He doesn't talk a lot, but uh, he got super skills in tracking and fight. Okay, uh, then the, the bard doesn't care about the main plot. Uh, <laughs> the game master gives away stuff. The bards go to the brothel, go to this place, this place. There's always someone actually giving them something. There's even the villains telling them, huh, I don't like that about the king. Huh, I always put a silver bullet in my <laughs> targets. Wink! <laughs> Wink, wink. Yeah, I, I'm sure. Yeah, this is probably what I went to back Africa. Right? I went to Africa. They, they were crazy bees there, you know. And and yeah, the character is like, hmm, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, not great. Okay. Well, I guess I guess there's always a an element of pacing to things as well. Like you can kind of find stuff out and think about what to do with things. But I guess like. On the other side of it, if you just, as the players, if you just kind of decide to go in guns a-blazing and stuff, and you're like, oh, I don't know, was that the best way to do it? And I think that, I mean, to be fair, our party of players tend to be quite hesitant because uh, the world that we play in is horrifying, so <laughs> you never really yeah. want to go into anything guns blazing because it rarely works out. But um I think, yeah, it's, it's difficult to pace it correctly and to know when to go when you're also kind of, waiting on events and things and there's always going to be a certain amount of linearity to the narrative in certain points that kind of because otherwise it might all get a little too too sandbox and a bit like not sure where to go and i don't know it's, it's it's a difficult balance i think i mean clearly the film didn't get it either way but <laughs> <laughs> one other thing i would just add as a lesson um for like you were saying pacing is such an important lesson to take away from this of like if say this is the tabletop RPG and the Chevalier says, Oh, I'm going to go to the brothel. I, as a GM, I would think, is this scene worth playing out or is this scene worth skipping over? <laughs> and you could just say, okay, you go to the brothel, you spend, you have a good time, you spend some money. All right. What do you do the next day? <laughs> but this movie does not do that. Nope. It will show you. And I mean, the brothel is not the only um example of that, but like there, there's so many parts of like, and I mean, me and Dakota, we talk about this obviously because we're playing for a podcast. And Camille, I'm sure you you guys do the same sort of thing. Of, um, okay, what is this scene? What what is the purpose of this scene? How does mm -hmm. this move? That what am I trying to get out of this scene? There's lots of scenes that nobody gets anything out of in Brotherhood of the Wolf. Mm -hmm. And like, does the a does this scene show you more about a character, or does this scene move the story forward? My answer, if the the answer to those is no. Me as a GM, I say we gloss over it with a sentence. We skip past it to something more interesting. Yeah, definitely. Although I do, I do think that the pumpkin scene had a lot to give. <laughs> yeah, the pumpkins. Yeah, I, I wasn't I like, just look the no time was wasted. YouTube, look that clip up. That's yeah. basically all you need to take away. From it's you. the best scene, and also I did enjoy the scene with the woman and the lamb because it was so pointless. Yeah, it's just so pointless. Yeah. It's like by that point, it's like we know the beast is bad and he's killing people. We know. Yeah, <laughs> it was so funny. Though. Sometimes the little details which wake you up when you are watching a, a movie with a slow pacing, and uh, the moment where I woke up, like huh, what, mm. what, what, what happened? Why, why is that there? <laughs> it, it was so odd. It's when they trapped the beast. I woke up because I was like, where did they find bamboo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where did they find bamboo in France? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It's because they were going 
old Manny style, so it's got to be all foreign and interesting and mystical. I think that is... <laughs> because the mystical bamboo. That, that set is also the worst set in the movie. Uh, yeah, there, there's so many things like... Uh, then, then I guess we, we need to stop because it's getting long, but I love the le- final scene of Sylvia, so Manica Bellucci with uh, Le Chevalier, after the, yeah, the, the big uh, sorting out of things. She tells him, maybe... You would like to come with me in Rome? It would be nice. Then she gives it like half a second, not even etc. No stops. It's a bad idea. <laughs> and she she moves, she walks backward and say no go. Holding a knife before right? I change my mind. And the the old pacing of just you know there's not even I don't think there's changes in frames or whatever, but just the delivery of it was really uh, the room level of uh, what the hell is going on with that line. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hi, Doug. <laughs> uh, we should definitely try to make an RPG version of the room if no one has done that already, because that would be oh, excellent. God. That would be a Patreon rule if, um, if anyone enjoys uh, that first episode. <laughs> the, uh, mm-hmm. One th- one last thing I want to detail about this movie from a, a French uh, perspective is uh, at the time I really enjoyed this movie because all the actors in there are terrific actors. Really, uh, you might have troubles believing it, but Vincent Cassel, uh, yeah, Vincent Cassel, oh, uh... the lady uh, playing Marianne is called Emily Duquen. She's Belgian, and it's her second movie, her first movie. She was nominated for the award of best. What, what do you call that? Um, promising actress you know uh, mm-hmm. uh best new actor be- best new actress in Cannes for a very uh hard and social movie called rosetta and and all these actors are terrific actors but they all mostly play in very social down-to-earth contemporary movies back then and it was such a blast seeing vincent cassel with his sword at the end <laughs> His goddamn soul caliber weapon. <laughs> I gotta ask, was that, that was that sword made out of bone? Because it looked yeah, it like was it made was. of bone. Yeah. it's so funny to see him with that sword <sighs> because so he's like, "Look at me." Usually, I play kids in suburbs, and now I got a bone sword. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah, this movie goes off. Is that the a goddamn bone sword? Rails. Are you just happy to see me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was holding it in his cult. But when he was standing there in his cult robe, he had it. He was holding it the Strapped whole time underneath his underneath chest, his... I thought. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like strapped to his chest. What a lunatic. Oh, my God. That's the actual <laughs> weird weirdest. arm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Then he, like, pulls out his arm. And it's like a, it's almost lion-like. I would, it, it's, I, I get what it's going for, but it's also really weird, and it comes out of nowhere. Also looks like a Soul Calibur. He, he's just Nightmare from Soul Calibur mixed with Ivy. I don't know. It's Tanner, yeah. we know Soul Calibur 6 is coming out. I'm very excited. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but it's a straight reference. I, I'm pretty sure that's when Soul Calibur came out, the first one, or maybe the second, and it, it's certain that it's a direct influence on, on the movie. So, <laughs> so uh, I think that's it, hmm. right? I could not talk about this movie more. Yeah, <laughs> I'm done with I think it. we've been diverging quite a lot. Well, we're, uh, we're getting start... close to being as long as this movie. Uh, if we could keep going, <laughs> go. <with it. laughs> no, yeah. no, no, no. We've got to keep going to like two hours 20, guys. <laughs> no, 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 it, no, no, it's no. only right. No way. So I'm going to plug the Patreon for the RPG Academy. Uh, so this show is part of the RPG Academy feed. We are doing it out of the passion for the hobby, but we do have expense. So if you want to help with those, go ahead to Patreon and check the RPG Academy page and maybe support us or leave us a positive review. I am myself, Kalum, from the Rollist Podcast, which is a London-based show about tabletop RPG fans across the channel, the pond, and beyond. Tonight, we had uh, two gentlemen from uh, Shadows of the Cabal. Yeah, I'm Tanner. Of course, I'm the GM of Shadow of the Cabal. Um, it's an actual play podcast set in the Legend of the Five Rings universe about unraveling philosophical conspiracies. Seven Samurai meets the Born Identity. So if that sounds cool to you, check it out. And Dakota is one of my faithful players. Yeah, and it's uh, been a great ride so far. We're about 40-odd episodes, but we just wrapped up an arc, so... We're about to have a great jumping on point if you're new, so come check us out. We have a recap. I think that just went up 
a few mm-hmm. days ago. So listen to that and come join us. Yep. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash SOTC pod, like shadow of the cabal SOTC pod. And we're on Patreon for now as well <laughs> at patreon.com slash SOTC pod as well. Camille, can you tell us a bit about Demipia? Yes. Uh, yep. I'm Camille. I'm one of the, uh, Fortunate, unfortunate players of Demipia, the Third Age, which is uh, a homebrew actual play uh, podcast using the D&D rule set. Um, and it's like a horror slash mystery, low fantasy kind of setting. And it's a lot of fun. If you fancy feeling horrified and laughing multiple times within one hour slots, it's, it's, yeah, it's the way to go. <laughs> and uh, you can find us... On Twitter at Demepia T3A. It's Demepia the third age. But if you just type in Demepia, it will probably come up. And we're on Facebook as well if you want to catch us there. And you can listen to us on iTunes, Podbean, any other big podcatchers. So yeah, come check us out. <laughs> I recommend to do so. So the concept of this new bonus show is that uh, different person's gonna edit the show and uh, have the privilege of picking the movie. Has any of you two already have a movie in mind for the next one? Um, I thought I had some, but I'm going to need to think about it more after watching this one because I don't want to, I don't want to commit four people two and a half hours again. So I think I might have one. I want to think about it, but I might have something for this. Yeah. So, mm, mysterious. Okay. So we'll keep it another mystery to find out. In the next episode of the RPG Academy Film Studies. Yeah, and if you guys have any feedback or anything about the show, feel free to send it along to us, pass it along to either me or Colome or anybody in the RPG Academy. Let us know what you think, and uh, thanks for <laughs> listening to us whine about this movie. Yeah, thanks for dropping by. What's the motto? If, if you're having fun, you're doing it right? We didn't have a ton of fun, so we should go back to the drawing board. <laughs> <laughs> the Rim. That should be our next film. <laughs> no. The Rim RPG. 